Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Unfiltered. Here's the headline. Here we go again. Once more, the Sunshine State finds itself at the center of election controversy where recounts are underway in Florida's governor's race, Senate race and agriculture commissioner's race. Joining me for the latest is CNN correspondent Ryan Nobles. Ryan, a lot has happened today. Uh, Where do things stand right now? Well, Essie, eight and a half million votes cast in the various races here in Florida, and it's come down to this. A massive recount of these three statewide races that's actually already underway. It was triggered by the Secretary of State automatically at noon today, and already in Miami-Dade County, which is the biggest county in Florida, they are counting again. This is an automatic machine recount. It's got to be done by Thursday of next week. They're going to take a look at the numbers, and if any of these races fall within a quarter of a percent, and we think at least the Senate race will, that will mean another round of counting. This a hand recount of the overvotes and undervotes. They have until the 18th of November to wrap all of that up. And then that could start another stage of lengthy and costly court battles as everyone here tries to figure out who the next senator, who the next agriculture commissioner, and who the next governor of Florida is. Essie, there's no doubt that the people of Florida are having whiplash. There are echoes of what happened here 18 years ago with the presidential election. They hope that things are going to be different this time around. Obviously, a lot of laws have been passed to try and make sure something like this doesn't happen again. But we're not going to know how this whole thing plays out until they go through each step of this process. I'm seeing hanging chads in my head. Ryan, thanks for the update. Stay put. We'll check in with you a little later in the show. But right now, tonight's other headline, a republic, if you can keep it. With his back against the wall, the president has re-embarked on an all-too-familiar campaign to undermine and cast doubt on American institutions. Because he didn't lose control of the House, America did. Almost as soon as the results were in, Trump questioned the validity of U.S. elections, unleashing a storm of tweets in the past 48 hours that, without any evidence, accused election officials in Florida and Arizona of fraud. On Wednesday, he turned his attention on the Mueller investigation, firing his own attorney general, Jeff Sessions, for failing to be his dutiful stooge at the Department of Justice. In his place, Trump bypassed the similarly principled number two Rod Rosenstein, instead announcing the appointment of Matthew Whitaker as acting attorney general. Coincidentally, I'm sure Whitaker has been a vocal critic of the Mueller investigation, which he will now be charged with overseeing. Next in the path of Trump tornado, the president turned his wrath toward the press for daring to ask him questions. After a chaotic press conference on Wednesday, the White House pulled the press pass of CNN chief White House correspondent Jim Acosta. On Friday, when asked if Acosta's pass would be permanently revoked, Trump doubled down, saying more press passes could be pulled in the future. I think Jim Acosta is a very unprofessional man. 
I think he does this with everybody. He gets paid to do that. You know, he gets paid to burst in. As far as I'm concerned, I haven't made that decision, but it could be others also. He also fired away at a PBS reporter calling her racist and another CNN reporter calling her question stupid. And finally, though, check back in a few minutes, uh, Trump renewed his attack on birthright citizenship, promising an executive order to end the practice. Because that's likely unconstitutional, though, the move is almost certain to tee up a battle in the Supreme Court. That's something the president readily acknowledges. We will be signing it soon. It's, no, no, no. We, oh, we're signing it. We're doing it. And it'll probably work its way up to the Supreme Court. Yes, this is all fine. In a matter of one week, the president has attacked the rule of law and the Constitution on no less than three fronts. The independence of the Department of Justice, the First Amendment and freedom of the free press, and the 14th Amendment. Now, lest you say, but S.E., you didn't care when Obama threatened the press. Oh, yeah, I did. Plenty of us were critical of the 44th president for seizing phone and email records of reporters from the AP and the New York Times and Fox News reporter James Rosen. And, of course, other presidents before Trump were guilty of constitutional overreach. In 1937, FDR infamously attempted to pack the courts with friendly judges. There was the Box 13 scandal of 1948, when LBJ was accused of stuffing 202 additional ballots into a box, which miraculously swung the Texas Senate election in his favor at the last minute. And, of course, there was Nixon's Saturday Night Massacre in 1973, where he fired both his attorney general and deputy attorney general when they refused to fire Archibald Cox, the special prosecutor charged with investigating the Watergate scandal. Well, history is replete with greedy and craven presidents who tried to expand executive power and undermine the Constitution. None has attacked the rule of law and the Constitution on so many fronts at the same time. And we haven't even gotten to the latest allegations of campaign finance violations by Trump. Here's the deal. As Americans, we have the distinct privilege of having inherited a Republican system of government which conspicuously features systems of checks and balances and separations of power. Also enshrined in this republic, the rights of a free press, which in part is meant to ensure that those entrusted with the power this system affords them will be held accountable. Our system of democracy can be clunky, it can be slow, it sometimes can be arcane, but for the past 230 years, it's served us pretty well. The Founding Fathers, in their infinite wisdom, came up with this system to prevent the very kind of arbitrary, ego-driven, imperialist behavior that Trump finds so alluring, especially when he feels threatened. So the question is, how strong is our republic? We're about to find out. For more on this, let me bring in the host of The Axe Files, David Axelrod. Uh, good to see you. Axe, is Trump yeah, freaking friend. out in light of the <laughs> midterm election results? It sure would seem that way. I mean, uh, you know, the, the thing about Donald Trump is there's never been an R on his gear shift. Uh, whenever he encounters trouble or obstacles, he tends to step on 
the gas, and that's what we've seen since the primary. A different kind of person uh, would have been reflective about the result because at the yeah. end of the day, it was quite a good day for Democrats, uh, and the Republican Party lost in places that the Republican Party has rarely lost before, and that should have been uh, that should have been a pause uh, for him, a cause for. Uh, some introspection. He's not an introspective person, no. and it seems like his reaction was to uh, was to lash that out, was to double down in all the ways that you uh, I identified. So, uh, you know, I'm not very hopeful <laughs> about what the next uh, weeks and months are going to bring. So, the first thing the president did um, when it was clear the Republicans would keep the Senate was fire Jeff Sessions, because he could. Now, mm -hmm. some are saying not to worry, the Mueller, Mueller investigation will be just fine, Democrats will have options. Are you worried about the integrity of that investigation? Well, I think everybody has to be worried about it because I think the reason that, you know, uh, Mr. Whitaker was not the first, second, third, or fourth person you'd think of. There is actually a succession uh, a system in place uh, that would have called for the deputy attorney general to be the acting attorney general, perhaps the solicitor general, and there is a prescribed uh, roster to choose from. Instead, he got plucked uh, out of semi-obscurity, and apparently, yeah. and now we know that he auditioned for this role right. on CNN by speaking about how he thought the Mueller investigation uh, was uh, illegal and uh, out mm -hmm. of bounds, and he uh, had prescribed ways for, for, uh, for essentially, uh, uh, you know, thwarting it. Uh, and uh, so one gets the distinct feeling that he is there for that purpose. Maybe yeah. he won't do that. But there are other things that have come up that relate to the other things on your list that yeah. are disturbing because he's written and spoken about the uh, about the the uh, Supreme uh, the court system as an inferior branch uh, right. of uh, of government. He 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 thinks Marbury versus Madison, one of the bedrocks of American uh, government, uh, was uh, improperly decided. And it makes and and so if he's advising the president on the yeah. constitutionality of the things that he's doing, we're in for some rocky moments here. Well, on to the next one. I'm sorry for the whiplash, but there's a lot to, to cover, and <laughs> I want good, your take on yeah. it all. Um, life, Trump is alleging... Life in Trump world, yeah. I know. Um, get used to it. Trump is alleging without evidence that there's been election fraud in Arizona, only after it started looking like Kirsten Cinema might win. He's alleging election fraud in Florida. Uh, let me be clear, there's evidence of incompetence there, but none yet of fraud at all. What are the consequences, in your mind, of the President of the United States casting doubt so recklessly on the electoral process? Look, my, one, my great concern about I very much believe in this system that we have, and I understand that when someone in the party opposite you gets elected, they're going to make policy, and you may not like that policy. Right. That's fine. That is the system. But we need the President of the United States, who is a trustee of our institutions, uh, to, to uphold those institutions and not deliver hammer blows to them when they deliver a result that he doesn't like. The yeah. fact of the matter is there is no evidence in either state uh, of, of fraud or illegality, and the Republican Secretary of State in Florida uh, said as much today.
so the president, uh, he tends to want to invalidate institutions that, that defy him or where results uh, defy him. He's done that with the press. He's done that with the rule of law. He's now doing that with the elections. And it, and, and it feeds conspiratorial instincts on yeah. the part of some of his base. And it's very, very dangerous. So what do we do? I don't I don't want to I don't want to meet Trump's freak out with a freak out. Right. I mean, he's clearly yeah. trying to overwhelm us with chaos. He wants to confuse us and divide us. But we've been through worse crises as a nation before. Should we just kind of Absolutely. assume our system can handle these stresses? Well, we, we need to demand that our system handle these stresses uh, and stand up for these institutions. I think yeah. the election was a big an important moment because a lot of voters who heretofore had supported uh, Republican candidates said uh, not this time because they wanted to put a check and a balance uh, on this president. The court system has right. been, I think, very resilient in the face of his uh, uh, attacks. Election authorities, including the secretary of state in Florida today, have stood up. Uh, for yeah. the integrity of their system. So, uh, yeah, I think we have to hope and believe that our system uh, can withstand this. But, you know, and, and I must say about reporters, I, I was, as you yeah. know, I, I spent years as a journalist. Uh, it is unsettling to see what the president is doing. But I would urge everyone not to take it personally, as personal as he's made it, and, and recognize that presidents have disliked what uh, what reporters have done uh, since the beginning of the republic. He's right. taking it to an extreme and a dangerous extreme. But the answer is just to continue uh, to do our job, to do the job of, uh, of journalists. The First yeah. Amendment was the First Amendment for a reason, to provide that check and balance uh, on people in power. They're not always going to like it. Yeah. But uh, I think the best answer to it is to continue to do that work with or without yeah. a hard pass. Good advice. Keep calm. Carry on. David Axelrod, thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right, Essie. Good to be with you. Thanks. Next, will Trump's acting AG try to undermine the Mueller investigation? And can Democrats do anything about it? Later, I'll check back in on the latest from Florida's messy recount. President Trump is defending his choice of Matthew Whitaker as interim attorney general following the firing of Jeff Sessions. Today, President Trump praised his new interim AG, tweeting, Matthew G. Whitaker is a highly respected former U.S. attorney from Iowa. He was chosen by Jeff Sessions to be his chief of staff. Mr. Whitaker is very highly thought of by Senator Joni Ernst, Senator Chuck Grassley, Ambassador Terry Branstad, Leonard Leo of Federalist Society, and many more. I feel certain he will make an outstanding acting attorney general. Well, I just want to point out um, Whitaker was installed by the White House, not Jeff Sessions. Nevertheless, the president's tweets come as Democrats continue their call for Whitaker to recuse himself from any involvement in the Mueller investigation due to his vocal opposition to the special counsel. Shortly after Whitaker's appointment was announced, Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi tweeted, Given his record of threats to undermine and weaken the Russia investigation, Matthew Whitaker should recuse himself from any involvement in Mueller's investigation. Congress must take immediate action to protect the rule of law and integrity of the investigation. For more on this, let me bring in CNN legal commentator, president of the Senate Conservatives Fund, Ken Cuccinelli, and CNN legal analyst, former federal prosecutor, Laura Coates. Uh, thank you both for joining me. Ken, 
Let me start with you. Let's stipulate for the record, Your Honor, the president has the right to fire his AG. But I think we yeah. all know why he fired him, because Sessions recused himself from the Russia investigation. Are you worried about the precedent this could set for another president who might, you know, be a Democrat? Uh, no, I think there's really been bad blood between the president and his choice for Attorney General Jeff Sessions for a while. And, yeah, fair. And certainly it has always, always rubbed the president the wrong way that Sessions recused himself. Um, and I think Sessions' recusal was overbroad, but it wasn't inappropriate. And okay. the calls now for Whitaker to recuse himself are absolutely baseless. And they're silly, frankly. Okay, but can, um, answer the, reason, the question I asked. The first. reason uh, but, Sessions but, 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 but recused Ken, himself. First, ask first. Answer the question I asked because we're going to get to that too, and I want I want your thoughts on Whitaker. But the question I asked was, are you worried that firing the AG under these circumstances and replacing him with someone who is hostile to an investigation could set a bad precedent for Republicans down the line when a Democrat's in charge? And I answered your question, SC, and I said no. And the reason I said no is because I think the presumption that there's going to be a problem is misplaced. I remember being on a CNN panel with seven others the night Jim Comey was fired, and yeah. all I heard from everybody else on that panel was how terrible it was that the Russia investigation had been ended by firing Jim Comey. I was okay. the only one who repeatedly stood up for the fact that the rest of the FBI was going to keep doing its job. And lo and behold, yeah. they did. And Whitaker okay. will, too. That should be our starting presumption. Okay, Laura, um, there was some question as to whether or not the president even had the legal authority to appoint Whitaker without the consent of the Senate. Uh, what's your take on that? Well, that question is still outstanding because the answer seems to be absolutely not. There's an order of secession that's in place, largely based on the Constitution about people who are able to be Senate confirmed, given the advice and the consent of the Senate. Now, this is somebody who is a principal officer in the federal government, meaning he only really has to report to the President of the United States. Right. And our Supreme Court just last year, Clarence Thomas, one of the President's own favorites, has actually said that even for the National Labor Relations Board, the general counsel for that particular organization who only had to report to the president that that had person had to be confirmed by the Senate, could hmm. not just be placed there willy-nilly. So if somebody who is the counsel for, say, the NLRB would have hmm. to go through Senate, why would not the person who is in charge right. of the Department of Justice? And of course, it makes sense, Essie, that would be the case. This is somebody who, because of that line of secession, it could have gone to the deputy AG, who was yeah. Rod Rosenstein, the Solicitor General, Noel Francisco. This is akin to, for example, if President President Trump himself were incapacitated and he just said, you know what, General Kelly, why don't you step in? I know Mike Pence should be the next person in line, but you know what, <laughs> I feel like it should be you, so go ahead. Uh, right. <laughs> Laura, um, Ken, Ken is very um, sanguine about how this investigation is going to go, but do you think, could Whitaker potentially do some damage to the Mueller investigation in his capacity as interim attorney general? Yes, and the key word here is interim, because we all know from the president's initial tweet right. that there's going to be a more permanent person placed later on, presumably somebody who would follow the Senate confirmation, but even temporary power can be extremely impactful. He could do a number of things. For example, he could be briefed in, according to the statute that Mueller operates under, and ask for explanations about all his prosecutorial and investigative decisions. He could actually say no to any hmm. future steps he'd like to make. Now, there is some recourse for Mueller to go to Congress um, 
and ask for some clarification if there is a discrepancy between himself yeah. and, say, Matthew Whitaker. Or he could do what I think is the most obvious, Essie, which is given that he'll be temporary and his ability to ask questions about the nature of the investigation and the full scope of it, couldn't he just go back and tell the president of the United States everything he'd like to know and fully brief him? There's <laughs> nothing stopping him. And that's wow. one of the concerns. Well, Ken, talk about the temporary status, because, you know, it would seem right. to me Trump sort of disavowing him at first, saying, I don't know him, he doesn't know me, might not speak to his lengthy <laughs> employment. What do you think? Tenure, yeah. Well, that, yeah. that certainly has been one feature of such positions. Uh, <laughs> and I don't expect him to be a lengthy tenure. I don't expect okay. him to be the person the president nominates. And even if he was, I don't expect that the Senate would confirm him, right. which is why I don't think he'll be nominated in the first yeah. place. So okay. the, the, the Senate, no, there, there are plenty of Republicans in the Senate. I'll ignore the Democrats for a moment for the obvious reasons. Okay. There are plenty of Republicans in the Senate who have said, we want clarity on this subject and yeah. we want a commitment from someone we have faith in that this is going to be handled in an appropriate way. That doesn't okay. mean Mueller gets to do whatever he wants. It, but it does we'll mean that it won't be unreasonably interfered with. And frankly, right. yeah. from the president's perspective, he ought to just let it go. This thing is near the end. There's no evidence right. of any collusion. Why he should don't just you tell him that, out. Ken? I think you're right. You should tell well, him that, Ken. Well, you know, Laura. I would, but you know, here I, I am on go. CNN instead <laughs> of in the go. White House. <laughs> well, you know he watches us, so I'm sure he just heard you. Thank Could you very you, much, Ken. Ken. Ken and Laura, thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate <laughs> it. Next, a damning report says Donald Trump directed hush money payments during the 2016 campaign and coming up how House Democrats will handle subpoena power and Nancy Pelosi. During the 2016 campaign, then-candidate candidate Donald Trump directed payments to audit uh, to adult film star Stormy Daniels and former Playboy model Karen McDougal. That's according to a new Wall Street Journal report that contradicts the president's previous denials and resurrects concerns he violated campaign finance laws. The journal says Trump was involved in or was briefed on nearly every step of the plan meant to silence the two women about their alleged affairs with Trump. This information on Trump's central role was laid out in an 80-page draft indictment meant for longtime Trump fixer Michael Cohen before he flipped. Stormy Daniels lawyer Michael Avenatti, always eager to inject himself into a story, had this to say. For over eight months, we have been battling Donald Trump and the lies he has told about his payment to my client. This is further vindication that we were right. I think the president should be indicted consistent with what I said in my New York Times op-ed. We'll be back in two minutes. In the red filed night, with great power comes great responsibility. Democrats, for the first time in four years, control a chamber of Congress. What will they do with their newfound power? The opportunities will be plentiful. Trump's tax returns, the Russia probe, they could even move to impeach. At the helm, a familiar face, at least for now. Nancy Pelosi has already declared she is the best person for the job of Speaker of the House. But what will the fresh faces in the new, younger, more diverse Democratic House have to say about it? We'll soon find out. Democrats are set to hold a closed-door vote in just 18 days. 
For more on this, I want to bring in CNN senior political commentator, former governor of Michigan, my friend, Jennifer Granholm. So, Jen, before we get to what Democrats will do, first let's talk about the speakership. I just want to put on the screen a list of the Democrats who openly said they opposed Pelosi for speaker, including challengers and incumbents. Don't squint. You can't read them all. There's too many. Now, not all of these people won their elections, but many did. Do you, uh, Governor, expect all of that opposition to, like, poof, go away? Or will Pelosi have a fight on her hands? Uh, um, well, since there's nobody who has declared that they are running against her, yeah. you know, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to suggest that she's going to lose. But I will say, I mean, you know, of those of the list that you have up there, yeah. I think there are nine Democrats who won and who won in seats that are plus 20. Uh, in other words, they won overwhelmingly plus right. 20 Democrat by huge margins. So it's kind of hard to see how she would lose. She said in a great interview, as you probably saw with Chris Cuomo the other night, that she yeah. feels very confident that she has this and nobody can count noses like Nancy Pelosi. Let me just say one other thing. As yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of interesting that in the year of the woman that we would be talking about, and I say we as, the, as my party, the Democratic Party, that we would be talking about throwing out somebody who is the most experienced and yeah. most effective speaker well, that yeah. we have seen, certainly in a lot of the lifetimes of the young people who were just elected. But to that point, I, I get the argument that Democrats won the House. For that, Pelosi should be rewarded. But... I'm wondering if you're worried that leadership is all too happy to have younger representation, but not actual power in the party. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really great question. And and Nancy Pelosi is a smart cookie. She knows that people want to see a next generation of leadership. So it's going to be up to her to populate these committees with leadership uh, representing those up and coming leaders, some of which were some of whom were just elected. So I I think she is no dummy about this. I mean, she knows how to negotiate against Republicans and she knows how to negotiate with Democrats, too. So I think it's going to be you'll see that new uh, leadership face in the committees that she assigns. And I think, you know, she's going to have to decide, too, how long she's going to serve. Part of her negotiation with them might be, you know, (laughs) I'm going to, well, I don't don't know. I mean, she's got to get them through this horrible period, from our perspective, with Donald Trump as president. And nobody's more seasoned to be able to do that. At some point, though, if there's a Democratic leader next up, you know, who knows? Well, on to oversight. Uh, Between Tax returns, Mueller, and possible campaign finance violations involving those payments to uh, Stormy Daniels, Karen McDougal. Which do you think Democrats are more likely to focus on first when it comes to oversight? Well, I do think they cannot go after right now the stuff that Robert Mueller is going after, right? You're not going to duplicate what he's doing. And so they're going to wait to see what comes out on that sort of person, on the personal side of going after Trump. But... Their oversight under the Constitution, under Article One of the Constitution, means that they do have oversight over the departments of government, et cetera, and they're yeah. going to take a look at that. And honestly, I, I think there is so much, there's so much material there that Democrats have to make a decision about how much of their psychic energy are they going <laughs> right. to, yeah, how much are they going to put into oversight versus how much are they going to put into actually getting pieces of legislation passed. Legislation, and that's right. going to be a balance they, be have to, they have to achieve. Yeah, yep. Jen, you're so you're so right. I think that will be the defining task for Democrats going forward with this newfound power. And this, 
And it's another it's another yeah. reason why Nancy Pelosi should be in power, because she was there. You you, you may not recall yeah. because you're a little bit younger than I am, but she was there when Bill Clinton was impeached, as was, right. by the way, Steny right. Hoyer and Jim yeah. Clyburn, Clyburn. But she's seen they it all. saw what happened mm-hmm. by by the overreach yep. of the Republicans, because Bill Clinton's popularity yeah. ended up shooting up to 73 percent because he, there was an overreach. And so yeah, it's you've got to evaluate that. Reminder. <laughs> Jen, thanks so much for joining me, uh, Governor Grant. You bet. Appreciate you it. bet. Glad to be okay. on. <laughs> Good to have you, as always. All, All right. right. The votes are in. Now it's time to count them all over again. The latest on Florida's statewide recount after the break. It's been four days since the midterm elections, but millions in Florida, Georgia, and Arizona have no idea who their next senator or governor will be. In Georgia, the standoff continues in the governor's race between Republican candidate Brian Kemp and Democratic candidate Stacey Abrams. In Arizona, ballots are still being counted in the Senate race between Democratic Rep Kirsten Sinema and Republican Rep Martha McSally. And all eyes are on Florida like it's 2000 all over again. Remember that headache? Where do those races stand? Well, joining us again from Tallahassee, Florida, is CNN correspondent Ryan Nobles. What's the latest on how long this recount is supposed to take there and whether there are any initial tallies? Yeah, so the big thing, Essie, is after everything that happened in 2000, Florida did go through an exhaustive effort to try and remake their election system so that they wouldn't have that huge controversy that they had 18 years ago. So the system here is much different. In other words, there are no hanging chads, and there are firm deadlines that they have to reach. The first one will be Thursday. That's when they have to get that automatic recount done. They'll reassess the vote at that time. If it's within a quarter of a percentage point in any of these races, then they move to a hand recount. They're not going to recount every single ballot by hand, but only those that they consider to be overvotes or undervotes. And then they have until the 18th of November to get all of those votes tabulated and declare a winner. Now, the system is in place and the system is designed for everything to end on the 18th. But, SE, the way this looks a lot like 2000 is that there are lawyers that have come from all over here to Florida, and many of them the same names uh, that you recall from the 2000 election. They are prepared to file lawsuits if they feel that their uh, candidates are on the losing end of this. And that's why this process could take longer than that deadline of the 18th. But Florida officials are hopeful that the vote margin will be clear and decisive on the 18th and that it'll be all over. Ryan, you're giving me agita, okay? I appreciate that, but you're giving me agita. All right, <laughs> thank you. I want to bring in CNN political commentator Bakari Sellers, former member of the South Carolina State Legislature. Uh, Bakari, I want to play some sound sure. from Andrew Gillum earlier today, just a few hours ago at a press conference. Take a listen. Well, let me say clearly, uh, I am replacing uh, my words of concession with an uncompromised and unapologetic call that we count every single vote. So, Bakari, I know you talked to the campaign uh, and you talked to you talked to Andrew. Mm-hmm. Uh, you talked to him today. I shot him a text today. And what we, what did you talk about in terms no, of the strategy? I just, think, I just think that his message that he stated yeah. was okay, and it's it's on point. The fact is that he's not asking for anything extra. He's not asking for there to be anything done that's out of the ordinary. In fact, he's asking for what happens in elections, which is every single vote to be counted. Right. Um, and so we'll see the lawsuits that are filed by the by the Nelson campaign. But Andrew is just stating that he's fighting for democracy. And I don't see a problem with that at all. Yeah, so the president is alleging some kind of fraud. As I mentioned earlier in the show, there's been some evidence of incompetence, but none yeah. of fraud. But Trump tweeted uh, 
this is an embarrassment to our country and democracy. Are you worried, with all the flashbacks to 2000 and this being Florida, that some of this plays into Trump's hands a little and ends up looking like a circus, which is not good for Well, I mean, you do, have, you, you do have incidents where, uh, like in Opelika, where you have crates of uh, 40 different crates that are filled with votes and whether, yeah. or, not, whether or not they were uh, postmarked at the right time, should they be counted, should they not be counted. So, yes, but, you know, you, you had Rick Scott who asked for an investigation. You had Rick Scott's monitors monitor those investigations. Yeah. And the Florida Secretary of State said that there was no criminality. So we, right. we know that to a be Republican. the case. A Republican. Mm-hmm. There's no criminality uh, there. Is there some incompetence? Sure, there's incompetence. But at the end of the day, this is a quite simple metric. Everyone who casted a ballot legally, their vote should be counted. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I think that Andrew is, is kind of resolved to the fact that he may not come out on top on this. Yeah, he said but that. Every, but everything yeah. that he's been fighting for throughout this campaign, you have so many new voters who are part of this process, Mm -hmm. they need to make sure that they know their vote counts. Yeah, and I I think sort of stating that at his press conference that this might not end up in his favor is a way of ensuring that this process has integrity. Because if he ends up losing as a result of this, at least we all sort of saw uh, transparently what this election has been about. But I also think there's a vast difference between Andrew Gillum's positioning and Stacey Abrams' positioning. Because I think that Stacey Abrams has had to overcome more voter suppression than we've seen in a very long period of time. Brian Kemp oversaw his own race yes. uh, for, for governor, and he's the secretary of state responsible yes. for elections, which yes. is mind-boggling. Yes. Uh, he kicked many <laughs> thousands of voters off their voter rolls. Um, and so I think that there are issues there that put yeah. Stacey and Andrew in a, different, in a different category. But in Georgia, Arizona, and Florida, Democrats have to have the same message. Just make sure every single vote is counted. Yeah, and in in, in Arizona, um, Cindy McCain even came out to say, "Wait a second, you're not going to count. You're not going to call and count my vote. This is, you know, I sent in one of those votes that you're now saying you're not going to count." In Georgia, you had instances where people were mailing back their ballots, yeah, uh, their absentee ballots, and they were being returned to sender. And it had a pre-marked address on it. Mm. So their, their ballots weren't even counted, and those were the addresses that were placed on the envelope. So, uh, you know, I, I pray for all of them, and I, I just think, for democracy's sake, who cares about what Donald Trump's saying? Every vote needs to be counted. <laughs> well, I know you're going to be following all of these uh, close elections and recounts, and, right. and so we'll be checking in with you again. Thanks, Thank Bacardi. you so much. Appreciate it. Uh, okay. Carly Sellers, uh, thank you. We may still be sorting out the midterms, but that doesn't mean it's too soon to look at lessons for 2020. That's next. So all of the ballots have been cast, probably. Um, The votes have been tabulated, mostly. And the midterm elections are in the rearview mirror, kind of. In the end, the conventional wisdom was largely correct. Democrats retook control of the House, flipping upwards of 30 congressional districts, while Republicans made gains in the Senate. So where do we go from here? For more on this, let me bring in former Clinton White House press secretary, CNN political commentator Joe Lockhart. Uh, Joe and I, you and I debated earlier this week back in Washington about whether this was a wave or not. Um, I can see Democrats made significant gains in the House, as they were expected Mm -hmm. to, but I still think Trump had a pretty good night. If Democrats did something right, though, to win those House seats and flip a few governor's seats, what was it? What was the good message for Democrats? I I think it's a couple of things. Okay. The first is they didn't get caught up in all of the things that we spend a lot of time talking about. Look at at the ad spend. That's really where the rubber meets the road. What are they spending their money on? 54% 54% of the ads were on health care. Uh-huh. Very few campaigns were running ads on the Mueller or on Russia mm-hmm. and all of that. So the, and the corollary to that is they focused on 
pocketbook issues, yeah. health care, pre-existing conditions. That's why you saw Republicans scrambling at the end to say, oh, no, no, we're, we voted against it, but now we're right. for it. You know, we were for it before we were against it, and, you know, confusing right. everything. So I think, and, and I think if you look at the numbers, the most significant uh, thing with the numbers is Democrats are now plus nine uh -huh. in this country. In the House, yeah. That's a, not even the House. Democrats oh, writ large. Uh -huh. right. That's a big deal. Right. And I think, you know, so you take that and you add it to Democrats having a lot more info on how to engage Trump, you know, at the ballot well, box. Well, let me ask you that because where I see where I see Trump's success was obviously in keeping the Senate, picking up some seats. Mm -hmm. um, and to me, I'm not sure Democrats learned a lesson nationally in how to take on Trump yeah. going forward. Yeah. What what sort of um, lesson do you think Democrats should learn on the flip side? Yeah, I, I think with the, there's a lot of debate among Democrats, among my friends okay. now of, you know, is it should you go to the middle? Or should you be, should you go far left? Right. I, I think that's the wrong debate. Yeah. I think it's about that what, what, what we've learned here is authenticity yeah. and being what I call an unapologetic Democrat. Mm -hmm. I'm a Democrat that's for what I'm for. Yeah. And I'm not sorry to talk, you know, I'm not ashamed to talk about it. Right. We, have, we have candidates who try to move back to the middle and that doesn't work. Yeah. Because when you're at plus nine nationally, yeah. your first order of business is get those plus nine to the polls. Right. Not, you know, be perfect on, you know, in the middle uh, on the issues. So I think that's an important lesson. And I, and I do think, you know, across the country, a lot of Democrats learned. And, you know, the reason Democrats were disappointed is we wanted to shame Trump. We wanted to repudiate mm. him because mm. we think so. Well, that's not how you win elections. You win elections mm. by going and in, convincing people you're going to make their lives better. And that's mm. why they won the House and, and did as well as could be expected. And yeah. once these are all counted, maybe better in the Senate. There, but there are going to be places yeah. that, are tr that is Trump country yeah. that the Democrats no, are not going to win. Really, I think that's a really good way to put it. Yeah. Um, uh, finally, Democrats are now preparing for 2020, as that's you know. Right. Uh, this week we learned that California... Congressman Eric Swalwell is seriously considering, um, Senator uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, New York, seriously considering, along with 87 other people, um, approximately. I, 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 I've ruled myself out. <laughs> you are, okay, you're not running. I'm not out. running. Yes, here uh, So what's the strategy this time? Because the last one didn't work. Yeah, listen, I think the, the strategy we'll learn from, from this, yes. which is we're going to go into Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, and have this message about how the middle class is being left out mm. and you know that the uh, health insurance pool is being uh, undermined uh, by Trump and that Trump you know overall has uh, has uh, during his time everyone has fallen further behind okay you know, if you look at it this way Trump has 3.7 you know unemployment in this country an economy that's growing strong yeah and Democrats are still plus nine okay two years from now if the business cycle goes the way most economists expect yeah. it it's gonna be a little tougher economically okay uh, I, I think that that bodes very well for Democrats well we'll see uh, I'm sure some Democrats will take your advice they'd be smart to others not so sure <laughs> but a lot of people are gonna be running we'll keep tabs on all of them Joe thanks t uh, for joining me tonight that's it for us. Uh, but on Monday, you can catch me on Jimmy Kimmel at 11.35 p.m. Eastern on ABC. Don't miss it. And up next, Van Jones on what to expect from House Democrats. Plus, a rare interview with White House senior advisor Jared Kushner about prison reform, the killing of Jamal Khashoggi, and more. Stick around for the Van Jones Show next on CNN. When you work, you work next level. 
And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.